BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Look, losing is hard for all of us, but... I'd rather lose and play than not play at all. And, uh, you know, I love playing. I love competing. I love trying to be a little bit better every day. I love going out there with a sense of purpose to try to get better. And ultimately, I love trying to play at a championship level for my teammates. And obviously, there's challenges every year. Everybody has unique challenges, you know, on and off the field. And, you know, you work as hard as you can with the circumstances that are presented before you. And... You know, we're just going to keep fighting till the end. And we'll be measured by, again, by what happens over the course of a long season. And we still have six games to go. There's a lot of things that can happen. The future is not written by any stretch. There's a lot of that's going to happen in the next six weeks of football. And hopefully we can find better rhythm and find a way to get a win this Monday night against New Orleans, which will be a huge game for us. Tom Brady from the Let's Go podcast earlier this week, licking the wounds after losing to Miles Simmons, Cleveland Browns in overtime, but also kind of renewing his vows with football. I'd rather lose than not play. And there was a time earlier this season, and I really didn't intend that pun. I really didn't. There was a time earlier this season where it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Brady was done this year and maybe Aaron Rodgers is done this year. And now... We already talked about Aaron Rodgers and the 60 million reasons he has to continue playing. It's starting to feel like Brady's going to keep going, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. I mean, he's still a good quarterback. He can still deliver the ball. There have been a lot of weird issues that have happened there with Tampa Bay. And for whatever reason, he and Mike Evans sometimes just don't seem like they're on the same page, for instance. But it's not like he is a bottom third quarterback in football, even at the ripe young age of 45. So I can certainly see him continuing to play. I mean, even especially when he says I'd rather lose than not play at all. Man, man, that's, that's something. It it really is something because he hasn't done much losing ever in his career. (laughs) 
And it was the first time ever that, and I can't remember the specifics, but something like having a seven-point lead in the final two minutes. Yeah. Something like that where he lost the game. And, and it had been 2-18-0 before that game on Sunday in Cleveland. And really, we've talked about Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady so far this show. Russell Wilson's the worst of the three right now. And it's no not doubt. even close. So yeah. he's going to keep playing next year. There's not even thought about whether or not he's going to retire. So why are we thinking that the other two would do the same when it's all they know? And especially Brady, it's all he knows for more than half of his life, literally. The NFL is all that he knows. All right, we're going to do scale of 1 to 10 with some of the division leaders right now. And we'll start with the NFC South, the worst division in football. No one is at 500, much less above 500. What is your confidence level? The Buccaneers, currently at 5-6, and six, will hold the lead and win the division. Miles, scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most, 1 being the least. 9.5, because none of, the, none of the other teams in that division inspire any confidence in me that they can eventually overcome Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, the Bucs are going to win that division at 9-8, and eight. Eight and nine, seven and ten, perhaps ten and seven. I don't know if they're going to get ten wins, but whatever it will be, the Buccaneers are going to be the team left standing at the end, and they will host a playoff game. Whether it's the Cowboys, if they end up as the five seed, the Giants, maybe they still end up as the five seed. If the Eagles falter a little bit, maybe they have to go back and play Tampa Bay like they did last year. But it <laughs> look. The Buccaneers are going to win that division. There's just nobody else that inspires any confidence in me, except for maybe the Panthers. If they keep playing as they're playing under Steve Wilkes, perhaps. But the Falcons, no, I'm sorry. Uh, no. And, and the Saints, nah. It's just not happening for them. I agree with you. Nine and a half. I'll even go nine point. I'll see your nine and a half and raise it to 9.75. I don't think okay. there's any way the Buccaneers lose that division but the Panthers are the team that has my attention hey they yes. had the perfect outcome last weekend they're the only team in the division that won the other right. three lost now this week you know the Saints are either going to pick up win number five or the Bucks are going to pick up win number six because they play each other the Panthers get to sit home and watch root for the Steelers to beat the Falcons and I guess you would root for the Saints to beat the Bucks to keep everybody in that range where the Panthers at four and eight have a chance to catch and maybe surpass and, hey, the Bucks were the five seed two years ago when they won the Super Bowl. So there's still hope. They're going to go in as the four seed. Whoever wins that division is getting the four seed. But it's going to be different than 19-3, to three, I think. That was the week one outcome in Dallas between the Cowboys and the Bucks. If Dallas goes to Tampa in the wild card round, I have a feeling that, that it may turn out a little differently than week one. But, again, with Tom Brady, you get the single eliminate. I, I don't want to discount this. It'll be his 48th career playoff game. Yeah. when he gets to the wild card round this year, and that experience means a hell of a lot. All right, the next three games for the Bucks, by the way, Saints, Bengals, 49ers. Not an easy road, and I may not have the order 100% accurate, but I ended with the 49ers because our next division is the NFC West. What is your confidence level that the 49ers will hold their current lead? They're at 7-4. and four. The Seahawks are at 6-5. and five. Scale of 1-10. to 10. I'll go with an eight here, Mike. And part of it is I have a lot of confidence in that San Francisco defense. They're getting healthier and everything. I mean, they're number one in points allowed and yards allowed, which is just really, really, really hard to do. But 
their schedule is a little bit tougher than Seattle's. I mean, Seattle still has to play the Rams twice. So that's two wins you can chalk up right there. Seattle also has Carolina and they play the Jets at home. They play San Francisco in week 15 on Thursday night football, and they're at home for that. And they have to go also to Kansas City. So 49ers are playing Miami, Tampa Bay at Seattle versus Washington at Las Vegas and that in versus Arizona to end the season. So, I mean, it is a little bit easier for the Seahawks, but I just think that the defense is so good for the 49ers right now. They should be able to hold on. You know, we're usually so quick at this point in the year to say that a given team has been exposed in some way. I mean, the Seahawks have been exposed over the last two games as a defense can't stop the run. They, they couldn't True. do it against the Bucks, yes. and they definitely yeah. couldn't do it against the Raiders. So uh, we have found their weakness, and I think that teams are going to continue to exploit that as often as they can as we get to the final games of the season. I, I'll just agree with you. I'll say eight. And the reason that I wouldn't go higher – the thing about the 49ers, you got to worry about guys getting hurt because of that mm. phenomenon where they're constantly active. That that mentality that causes you to run through a wall sometimes gets you injured by the bricks as you are running through the wall. And, you know, we, we, we're constantly going to have a guy on the injury report with, you know, a big name who is a key part of that team, whether it's Debo Samuel and now you got Earl Mitchell out and you've got Christian McCaffrey day-to-day with a knee problem. And, hey, if the other team isn't going to score any points at all, it doesn't matter. And maybe that's what these 49ers are becoming, like the 85 Bears before our eyes where you just don't need to worry about the offense at all because the defense is going to completely throttle each and every opponent. It's amazing to see, but that's the ultimate – that's the ultimate antidote to Jimmy Garoppolo-itis. Have a defense that is so crippling, not even Garoppolo can screw things up. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, they haven't allowed a second-half point since that game against the Chiefs back in Week 7. So that, that tells you a lot about where they are and that potential for that defense and how good it is, you know? Great test this week, too, with the Miami Dolphins coming to town. What a, what a great game. This week, yeah, it was a, it was 49ers, a great Dolphins, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, that great yeah. offense against that great defense. It's shades of Bears Dolphins from 1985, although it won't have nearly the same hype because it's probably tucked into the late afternoon window somewhere. All right. Uh, let's the talk about the Dolphins, too, AFC East. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, when the game ends, uh, don't watch Red Zone. Uh, <laughs> if it's the only game left, you aren't going to see it on Red Zone. Uh, all right, confidence level: the Dolphins will continue to hold their lead in the AFC East. They are eight and three. The Bills are eight and three. The Jets are seven and four, and the Patriots are six and five. It really is something to behold. Can the Dolphins uh, I, pull I, it off, Miles? What's your I, I, What's I get, your hope? One to ten. I got to go four and a half. I mean, it's not even that I'm trying to insult the Dolphins here because I think that they will certainly make the postseason. I mean, you can look at the AFC East and present an argument that all four teams in that division are going to make the postseason for one reason or another. But, I mean, A, I got to see what they do in cold weather. And four of their last six games in the Dolphins are on the road. So, you know, I mean, we'll see what they do at San Francisco. They're going to be at the Chargers next week on Sunday night football. So that's going to be fun. I'll hopefully be able to go to that one. But then you got the Bills, and the Bills are still a juggernaut too, you know. So we'll see what Miami does 
at Buffalo in cold weather. I mean, I got to give advantage to Buffalo on that one just because they're good and they're at home. So I don't know that Miami's going to be able to hold on, but I do think they'll make the postseason. By the way, I saw myself get caught in the tail end of a yawn there. I am not bored by what Miles has to say. I am just old <laughs> and tired, and I'm already looking forward to my afternoon nap. Uh, I was looking at the schedule this week, and it really is something. And I know that some weeks you just can't fit in a great game into that big spot. The big spot game in the afternoon this week is Chiefs-Bengals, for good reason. It's Chiefs-Bengals. Yeah, yeah. It's a rematch of the AFC Championship game. It's Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. And, and I think that no one when they were configuring the pieces of the schedule back in May, would have thought Dolphins 49ers would be what, what, it, what it's going to be. And on top of that, you've got the whole Stephen Ross, Jed York angle from oh, Ross yeah, getting involved right. in the Santa Clara mayoral race and Jed York with some low blows and pissed off the owners that he was taking it too far. So uh, a little intrigue coming up at Levi's Stadium this weekend. I- I'll say, and see, this is the problem. Because I'm trying to avoid activating two and on. This isn't about the Dolphins as much as it's about the Bills. I just feel like the Bills are preordained to win this division. So I'm going to say three. I just think it's a matter of time before the Bills take over. They're, they're working their way through a rough spot in the schedule, and they're still finding ways for the most part to win games. They went through the horrible distraction of having to play a home game in Detroit and then go back to Detroit. And, you know, we heard the stories about how it brings them together. Well, let's see Thursday night. At New England. Let's see the following Sunday against the Jets. It's their opportunity to start to put the pedal to the metal. So I just think the Bills are going to win that division. So my confidence in the Dolphins holding on has to be low, Miles. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. But I mean, I also don't want to discount the Jets completely, especially now that they are playing at least a little bit better offensively. And I know that they're playing against the Bears. But look, I mean, Mike White seemed to bring a little bit of juice to that offense. And that defense for the Jets is every bit as good as the defense for the Bills. So I don't know what that means for the back half or back third, let's call it, of their schedule. But you know, I, I can't just discount the Jets as a contender in the AFC East. It is such a weird dynamic with the Jets, and we don't have time to get into it now, but it almost feels like the reaction by the Jets players almost feels like the way that Broncos players would react if there was a viable replacement to Russell Ooh. Wilson in Denver, and that guy would be put uh, in the game. Doesn't it? Yeah. It kind of, yes, just, it does. It, it just it does. feels – I mean, there, there must be – again – there's got to be a hell of a long read to be written about what happened with Zach Wilson and why his teammates have gotten to the point where they don't seem to really like him. And I know they can say whatever they want when the microphone is in their face and who's going to come out and say, yeah, I really don't like him. That's not how you get to the truth. I just feel like the actions speak louder than words and the way they respond to Mike White may tell you everything you need to know. All right. One more division, the Ravens, AFC North, after blowing a nine point lead to the Jaguars and losing late in the game on a two-point conversion followed by a missed 67-yard field goal. Like, like, oh, how dare you miss a 67-yarder? But, hey, Justin Tucker, maybe you can make it. 7-4 and four are the Ravens now. The Bengals have caught them at 7-4, and four, and there are the Browns and Steelers at 4-7. and seven. What's your confidence level that the Ravens can fend off the Bengals? I assume they don't have to worry about the Browns and the Steelers, but who knows? They still have to play the Steelers twice. Yes, they do have to play the Steelers twice. And when they, I mean, those two teams get together. It's a classic NFL rivalry. Throw out the records, right? I mean, my, my confidence in the in the Ravens winning that division is very low. I, I call it one. Lower, way lower 
than Miami because they can't hold leads against good teams or in the case of the Jaguars against not great teams, right? So why in the (laughs) world would we feel like they can do that in terms of their hold on the division? They're, They're not the same Ravens that we're used to where they play excellent defense and they close out games. And the other part of this is how good the Cincinnati Bengals have been over the last few weeks. They are finding themselves. They're going to get Jamar Chase back. They're going to get Joe Mixon back. I think that they're probably going to beat the Chiefs this weekend at home. And look, you can say whatever you want about Baltimore, but it also is about how good that Bengals team is. And they are just, they're slipped under the radar, but they are still the defending AFC champions. And you know what? They've improved their pass protection. They did a good job of that against Tennessee. And I just see them continuing to come on and come on. And I I really think they're going to win that AFC North. Given that you are a Cleveland native who was in your formative football years when the Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens, and of course you hate the Steelers because you're a Cleveland guy, when the Ravens and Steelers play, like who do you root for? The Steelers. I, I The Ravens shouldn't exist, at least as the franchise that they are. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you, uh, you're, All right. You're, you're, you're well, triggering me and pulling open a Band-Aid. The Ravens should, the Ravens should have been an expansion uh, team and the Browns organization should have stayed in Cleveland. But that's, you know, now 20-some-odd years ago. But I, I still feel that way. But, I mean, I would much rather I, – I would rather watch the Steelers win every single time. And the, some Cleveland people don't like that when I say that. But I, I, I don't care. I, 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 no. No, never the Ravens. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we're going to do one of our regular Wednesday staples. Miles gets to do it for the first time. After further review, we look at some of the controversial calls from the weekend that was and try to make sense of them. We'll do that next year on PFT. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Wednesday edition of PFT Live, after further review, a segment where we take a look at some of the calls that we either help people better understand the rule, the process, or we may not necessarily agree with the final outcome. And we're going to start, Miles, back on Thursday night. Patriots at the Vikings. And this was a key moment in the game. The Patriots had scored a touchdown to start the second half. The Vikings responded with a kick return that nodded the game. The Patriots, once again, right down the field through that not-so-stout Minnesota defense, and we're in position to score a touchdown third and goal from just beyond the six. Hunter Henry with the ball across the plane, hits the ground, loses possession at the ground level, regains possession, in my assessment, in the field of play short of the end zone. Ruling on the field was a touchdown. There it is. Ruling after replay review was incomplete. And the argument was that the ball hit the ground and moved. And here's my 
primary beef with the entire process, whether it is how the league office handles it or how it's explained to us. And I'm not specific to any network here. Every rules analyst does this or fails to do this. Okay. When we have a replay review, I think they should all have a card in front of them with big letters, clear and obvious. The fans and the media need to be reminded in a situation like this, the ruling on the field only gets overturned if the evidence is clear and obvious. Yeah. And it isn't clear and obvious, in my opinion, that the ball hits the ground. It isn't yes. clear and obvious that it wasn't ultimately a catch in the field of play. I think it's clear and obvious that he bobbled it enough while he was across the stripe to nullify the touchdown, but not to nullify the catch. I think that should have been the proper outcome of that call, Miles. And they should have had fourth and goal right at the brink of the end zone. And they could have just gone for it. And Mac Jones gets shoved in as we see quarterbacks do now. And they would have had a touchdown on that drive, potentially. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And that's what I thought as I was watching it. Because, you know, we start talking about surviving the ground. But where is the clear and obvious evidence that the ball hit the ground? Right? I, I just, I don't feel like I ever saw... The ball hitting the ground and now we see it right there his hand is still under it now at a certain point could hit that the hand have moved could the ball have moved i don't know but i mean the catch rule is supposed to be control the ball two feet or another body part in a football move and if he's bobbling the ball then sure that's one thing but it never is clear to me that the ball hits the ground and so when i was looking at it i'm like all right well they should have the ball at the one yard line or wherever it is that he is finally in possession of the ball. But it was never clear to me that that ball hit the ground. And if it's never clear and obvious, then you're not supposed to overturn it like that. And even in the pool report from Walt Anderson, the senior VP of officiating, he didn't say it was clear and obvious via replay review the ball hit the ground i just think there's a great temptation by the rules analysts who are employed by tv and by the person who is in charge of overturning these to not apply the standard they officiate it from scratch and the whole idea of taking the replay function out of the stadiums because it used to be a decade ago the referees the white hats they were the ones who made the decision then it right. became the league office was consulting, and then it became the league office just makes a decision because we want one person applying the same standard in every right. case. Because the And it was explained to me at the time, the referees forget clear and obvious. Well, Walt Anderson forgets it. The TV rules analysts forget it. We never hear it. We need to hear clear and obvious. And there's one angle, Miles, where – it kind of looks like the ball maybe is on the ground, kind of. And and I think it was one time last year, Sims and I were doing this, and, and I had to, like, lean forward to see what was going on. I think any time you have to lean forward and take a close look, it's not, it's not obvious. Right. The whole idea of <laughs> obvious is you have to look at it and say, oh, what the hell was that guy thinking when he made that call? There's nothing yes. about this play that makes you say, what the hell were they thinking as it relates to whether or not it was a catch? Whether it was a touchdown, right. it's clear and obvious. He didn't hold the ball when he hit the ground, and he lost possession and recovered it in the field of play. That should have been the ruling. And yes. I'm just I'm imploring Walt Anderson, Perry Fuel, League Office, and every rules analyst employed by all the networks, and every one of them has one. Fox has two. 
when you're talking about these plays, for God's sake, use the phrase clear and obvious. And remember the phrase clear and obvious. That's how these calls need to be explained because that's how. And maybe, maybe if the rules analysts were hammering clear and obvious, maybe that message would get through to Walt Anderson too. I, I don't think that there's any doubt about that. I mean, especially um, when you're talking about these national high profile games, you know, the Sunday night footballs of the world, you know, whether the, the second game of the double header in the 425 window, Monday night football, all of these things they, that definitely adds up. So, I mean, clear and obvious is supposed to be the standard, right? The 50 drunks at a bar thing, you know, if all of them can figure this out, then that's the way it's supposed to be. I don't think the 50 drunks at a bar, you might've had 25 on one side and 25 on the other. If you're taking a look at that play. And if that's the, if that's the, the, if that's the conclusion, then you should have a, it should stand is what I'm trying to say. But I had a hard time saying that. I, I had somebody make the point based upon that angle down the line that shows the ball may be on the ground, that 50 drunks in a bar would agree that the ball hit the ground. Well, I was one sober person in my barn, and I'm not ready to say it was clear and obvious. So just the fact you're, that the debate sober lingered person in the barn tells you it's not clear that. and obvious. I was. I was. By then I was. Earlier I wasn't. <laughs> By then I was. All right. Uh, this is the Raiders and the Seahawks from Sunday afternoon. DK Metcalf in a fairly important moment of the game, fourth quarter with a minute and two left. The game tied at 34 he has a catch on the field. The ruling is it's a catch, so we need clear and obvious evidence that it wasn't a catch. Let's take a closer look at it. I'm dumb and, uh, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm looking for clear and obvious. Where's where's the clear and obvious? Where's where's the clear and well there? You know what? Uh-huh. I see I see bobbling as he rolls out of bounds. Um, yes. I, the ball is. Moving. I see the bobbling. The so moving. yes. Yeah, the ball's moving. The ball's moving, and he's out of bounds. If he's not out of bounds, it's okay because it never hits the ground. But by the time right. he secures possession, it's not clear and obvious the ball hits the ground to me. I'm not going to say that. But it is clear and obvious he doesn't have possession when he's on the white stripe. So I'll agree with that Exactly. One. Yes, I, I agree with that one, too. And that's kind of what I thought when I was watching that game. It's like, oh, man, because that looks like a great catch initially, especially if you play it in real time. But once... You know, you slow it down a little bit that if we're talking about the clear and obvious standard, it is to me, especially on this angle right here, that it's clear and obvious that that ball was still moving and he hadn't quite secured the possession yet until he was out of bounds. It's a big yeah, moment in the and game. And he's clearly too. on the white stripe when he when he has it. Now, oh, a very important moment in the game and, and a good job by replay. But again, was, did they apply clear and obvious or did they just look at it and say it looks like it was an incomplete pass to me? In that case, though, they're backed up by the clarity and the obviousness of the outcome. All right, let's go back to Thanksgiving, the middle game. Cowboys up 21-13 in the fourth quarter, nine minutes to play. C.D. Lamb with a touchdown catch back of the end zone, ruled out of bounds. The Cowboys challenged it. The ruling was upheld. This is a proper application of an obscure rule that a lot of people don't know about because it doesn't happen very often. When you're on the sideline or the boundary, if you do the two-toe tap and then step out of bounds, and if all that ever hits is your toes, it's a catch. But if your toe lands in and your heel lands out, it's not a catch. Right. You and, and it, it to some it's counterintuitive. Michael Irvin was making the argument: Why should it matter? I get my toes in. I get my toes in. But the rule is: if your toe is in 
and the rest of your foot comes down and any of that foot lands out of bounds, it's not a catch. But if you do two toes and the rest of your foot never even comes down until you're completely out of bounds, that's a catch. That's just the rule. So it was proper application, proper decision on the field that it was incomplete, and proper decision to uphold despite the Cowboys' challenge. And I remember tweeting at the time, who's telling Mike McCarthy he should throw the red flag here? Whoever's telling him doesn't know the rule that the heel comes down out of bounds, it doesn't count because there's no way they were overturning that one, Miles. No, there wasn't. And I don't quite remember if they had shown what they'd shown on TV before uh, that 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 challenge flag came out from Mike McCarthy. And so that's one of those where you look at it and you you see it the second time and you're like, wait a minute, he got his toe down. And then you've got to remember what you just said about the heel also coming down. And, you know, that's unfortunate because, man, that is a hell of an effort by C.D. Lamb. I mean, my goodness. The fact that he could secure that ball at all in the back of the end zone like that and the fact that he even got a toe down in the first place, boy, it's something. But, you know, when the heel comes down, it just means that that play does not count as a catch. And the referee in that game did one of the all-time great teases as he was explaining the ruling because as it began it seemed like he was going to say that they determined it was a touchdown and then he pivoted the other direction. That was a a fun moment on Thanksgiving afternoon. It made me a little nervous because I was so strident in my position that it was incomplete. (laughs) I went through a couple seconds of, oh God, here we go. Here comes at old takes exposed. Uh, One more catch, and this one should be fairly simple. Ravens at Jaguars, the game-tying touchdown from Marvin Jones. And this is the old one body part equals two feet. One butt equals two feet. One shin equals two feet. You don't have to get both feet in when you see that shin hit the ground before he's out of bounds. And just enough of the shin hit. And it wasn't clear and obvious and it didn't. Remember, ruling on the field, touchdown. It's got to be clear and obvious. The shin wasn't in before the knee was out. And it wasn't clear and obvious. There it is. The shin's on the ground. So it's a touchdown, Miles. And he's secured possession, too. And when you have that possession and he is coming down as he is, it's not the easiest catch to make. So credit to Marvin Jones for you know getting that shin down as he did and also securing the ball before he went out of bounds because that easily could have been an incomplete pass if he doesn't get every single one of those elements right exactly the right time. And he did it perfectly. So, hey, League Office, we've agreed with three of the four calls that were made. Congratulations. That we have included so far in this segment. A couple of fumbles to talk about real quickly. Back to the Raiders-Seahawks game. Here's a situation where Josh Jacobs fumbles the ball, but it's after the play was ruled over because his forward progress had been stopped. That's the key. And once they decide forward progress is stopped... That's it. Nothing else that happens after that matters. The problem is sometimes forward progress is stopped in like the flash of an eye. Usually there's a beat. There's a pause. There's a, okay, he's, he's done. That, that seems like a quick decision that forward progress was stopped. But again, it's not reviewable. Once they make that decision, Miles, it's over. Yeah, and, and this one's tough, too, because he's because he's, he's twisting him around in order to try and bring him down. So when you have that happen, it's like, all right, well, do you still have the opportunity to punch the ball out? And he twisted him down in a way 
that had Jacobs land on him as opposed to land on the ground. And if he had just twisted him down to the ground, then the knee usually hits or what some other body part, and then he's down right at that spot. But because it's the forward progress thing, it allows the defense another opportunity to punch that ball out as they did. But as I saw it live and I'm watching that game, I thought, well, it looked like his forward progress had been stopped. So I understood the call as it was on the field. And of course, if, if that's what the call is on the field, as you said, it's not reviewable once you have forward progress done. That, that play is dead. Footballzebras.com had an explanation that they tend to find forward progress has been stopped when the leg goes out like that and the guy gets bent back. And, and it's a safety mechanism. So right. I think that's great. It's just It was a very quick forward progress. Usually there is that just that, that beat where they blow the whistle and forward progress is stopped. Not a determination that's made before you even hear the whistle blow. I don't think we had the audio there to hear the whistle blow, but it just seemed like a quick Forward progress has been stopped decision. Here's one more fumble recovery in the Chargers-Cardinals game. This is second quarter, well before the game was being decided, but still a noteworthy play that resulted in a pool report. The ball is out, and then the Cardinals believe they recover. The ruling was that uh, – there wasn't clear and obvious evidence of a clear recovery. And I'm assuming, and I may be wrong here, and I apologize in advance. I'm not going to act like I know this 100%. My guess is the ruling on the field was no fumble. Because remember, this was the rule. This was from a Chargers-Broncos game years ago. Ed Hockley was the referee. The ball falls out. It's clearly a fumble. The ruling on the field is it wasn't a fumble. They changed that rule then. And that was a controversial moment where... The rule at the time didn't allow for replay review to fix it. If you do have the ruling not a fumble, if the ruling becomes fumble, you have to have a clear recovery of the ball. And that's why the Cardinals did not get the ball, because it wasn't a clear recovery. At best, it was simultaneous possession. Right, yes. And the, if there's simultaneous possession, then the tie goes to the offense. You know, tie goes to the runner in baseball, tie goes to the offense in football. And so you can see 83 right there as he's coming up. Um, and that's what uh, Bandy's able to do. He's able to kind of secure the ball and then he gets touched down. But even though there's kind of that simultaneous possession, but it's if there is simultaneous possession, then that's what goes to the offense. So I, I understand this call because you can kind of see that he's got the he, he goes into the womb with the ball a little bit there. But then the Cardinals are also kind of surrounding him. So I guess that's why you, you, you see the Chargers end up still having the football there. Walt Anderson said in the pool report, the first thing we had to do was confirm that the receiver did complete the process of the catch, which he did. Then we had a fumble. We had a clear view of number 83 on the Chargers, secured the ball while it was in his hands on the ground. An Arizona player ended up getting his hands in there, but the Chargers player had hold of the ball, and therefore he is down by contact at that point with control. So that, that this is why I had in my head that there was a question as to whether or not it was actually a fumble in the first place, and I got down that Ed Hockley rabbit hole. There wasn't a question of whether it was a fumble. The question is the recovery. And right. they saw in replay review that, and it's clear and obvious, again, the clear and obvious standard that it wasn't, it was clear and obvious that that the Chargers had retained possession of the ball. And uh, those are always tough issues because you're never going to get a crystal clear angle when you got a, a scrum of bodies, but they saw enough uh, to come to that decision. And it looks like it was right. I think we agreed with them on, 
all but one, all but the most important one of the week. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll concede that they were right on the far less important ones, but the most impactful one, the Hunter Henry one, that's the one where we will strenuously object. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. Shotgun, win or lose, Eckler goes in motion, Herbert to pass, but it's good, it's good, Herbert to Gerald Everett, fortune favors the bold, from the 12, back to pass, here's Brissett, looking, firing, end zone, oh, what a catch by Njoku, touchdown, what a catch by the Chief, a touchdown, down to five on the play clock, gets the snap, hands off to Jacob, stutters to the right, first through the whole 20, 25-30, he's off to the races, full game, 86 yards in overtime to walk it off for a second straight week on the 35th anniversary of Bo running through the tunnel, this goes 86 I love a good hump day homer, but you lose me when you use the fortune favors the bold line. That that <laughs> that has been ruined forever. <laughs> Power rankings presented by Google Pixel. Fortune favors the Chiefs. They are currently number one. How about a Chiefs Eagles Super Bowl? Wouldn't that be something? We've been talking about all the possible permutations, and it occurred to me yesterday. I haven't really thought about the Chiefs and the Eagles. Andy Reid getting a shot. Against the team that fired him in the ultimate yeah. game? Yes, I'll take that. Yeah, Andy Reid Bowl, Kelsey Brothers Bowl. Big one for Northeast Ohio if that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes against Jalen Hurts. I would absolutely love to see that. There's a lot of intriguing storylines in that one for sure. Okay, so this is the first time that you've had a chance to sit in the contrarian chair. This is how it usually goes. Sims okay. finds something to complain about in the power rankings. So I will give you the floor. Complain about whatever you'd like to. And I, I have thick skin for the most part. I won't be upset. Do What do you have a problem with other than the fact that the Browns aren't in the top five? I mean, the Browns should not be in the top five. And neither should the Rams <laughs> if you want to talk about teams that I'm connected to. Uh, this is on the sheet, but I also agree with it. The Titans... Why are they so far behind the Patriots? I, the Titans lost to the Bengals. That's not a, a bad thing to me. Those are two really competitive teams. Oh, why, why do we think that the Patriots are that much better than the Titans? What am I missing here? And the Seahawks, for that matter. Well, well remember, this is a living, breathing organism that changes week to week. And Yeah, I know. That probably would have been a better question last week. Because the Patriots were already ahead of the Titans, and I don't have a good answer for you as to why <laughs> that happened. I, I think there must have been a loss by the Titans at some point that dropped them behind the Patriots. You know, there's an old-school college poll UPI-AP vibe to it where when you hold a spot, when you have a spot, you hold it as long as you keep winning. And look at all those teams that dropped. They all lost. The, people want to know why the Bengals went up six spots. Everybody in front of them lost, except for the Vikings. Ravens, Giants, Patriots, Seahawks, Titans all lose, so the Bengals leapfrog all of them. So the Patriots were already two spots ahead of the Titans, so that's why they're 
they're where they are. And again, this isn't a predictive okay. tool. This isn't a mathematical model that's aimed at deciding who would win if these two teams got together. It's just kind of where they are right now. I'll admit that maybe the Titans should be should be higher. The problem yeah. is, I, I I always wrestle with this. Look, if I hadn't dropped them a spot, like. It's rare that a team loses and I don't put them down. And it's even rarer that a team loses and I prop them up. Sometimes it'll be like a bad team that barely loses to a really good team. And I'll bump them up a few spots among the dregs of the NFL. But this was just one where it was kind of easy for me to just drop everybody. Everybody goes down one. You lost, you drop one. Giants, you go down one. Patriots, you go down one. Seahawks, you go down one. Maybe the Seahawks should have gone down farther, though, if they got shredded by the Raiders the way they did. That's probably where I screwed up. I should have yeah. dropped the Seahawks even mm-hmm. farther. Maybe they should be, frankly, behind the commanders at this point. Probably, um, but also you could make the argument that they're, you know, that they maybe should be behind the Bucks. But I mean, the Bucks are worse, I think, than they could be. I also don't have that much confidence in the Chargers. You know, the Chargers—they they don't do it for me. I mean, beating the Atlanta Falcons doesn't mean that much. Once you get down to that point in the power rankings, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, what are we really arguing about here? But, I mean, you know, Chargers don't impress me much. Well, let me tell you, we're arguing about everything because people will are It's amazing for as meaningless as they are. <laughs> That's why I don't get fired up about these. <laughs> the meaning that people give to them and the extent to which people go nuts it's like it's a meaningless ranking. And I tell you, one of the great areas of indication for me, can we flip to the next page? Broncos. I, not that I'm rooting against the Broncos, but I do remember this. When the season began oh. and I had the Broncos at 19, I had yeah. a lot of upset Denver fans. Oh, I How remember that. How dare you yeah. put the Broncos at 19? Right now, they would love to be in the top 20. They're not even in the top 30 right now, and there are no complaints from anyone in Denver. In fact, they would like to be below 32 if that would mean Nathaniel Hackett is out. We'll take spot number 40, put some of the SEC teams in front of us, put Northwestern in front of us if it means getting what we want, which is a coaching change. It's a shame, but that's the way it is. Yeah, I know. It, it is a shame, but like, man, oh, man, oh, man. Like we said earlier in the show, when you can't even score 20 points – yeah, that's what happens here, man. And the Houston Texans, I mean, what a woeful franchise that is right now. So, you know, when you're down there with the, the Texans, that says a lot about where you are. Well, and look at the Rams at 29. Scott Pioli, the former GM of the Chiefs, oh, and before gosh. that the VP of player personnel with the Patriots, tweeted this the other day. Through 11 games, the Rams' 3-8 and eight start is tied for the worst in NFL history by a defending Super Bowl champion. Shared with the 87 Giants who played three games with replacement players during a strike-shortened season. The next worst was the 49ers, 3-6 and six in 1982 in a strike-shortened season. So this is the worst that a Super Bowl team has done in a non-strike year the following year, and they're 3-8. and eight. And, and again, Broncos, Broncos, Rams, I can get you good tickets if you want to stay in L.A. <laughs> for the Christmas holiday. You can have a lot of space to yourself. You can spread out. Everything you want to eat and drink. And, and I mean, all kidding aside, the Rams are encouraging season ticket holders who would otherwise just burn the tickets, I guess, to give them to charity. They have an inducement where they're going to have 
prizes available if you donate your tickets to charity because the thinking is people who otherwise would not be able to afford to go to a game will will ignore the fact that it's Broncos Rams and still go to the game. Yeah, right, so, I mean, I don't, if that's a hey, happy Christmas, hey, I, I want to go hey, to look, Inglewood. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I'd love to go. I'd love to go. If I couldn't afford to go to a game, I'd love to go to a game. I would still think twice about going to see Broncos Rams. If I knew anything I, I about football, too. I would think twice. I mean, it's great to go to the stadium. It's a nice, you know, I. It is. It is one of the coolest stadiums you can and, go to. Yeah. Well, it's we'll an awesome we'll stadium. That, it would be a great game, way to spend the day. Yeah. But it's still Broncos Rams. Yeah, we'll see if that Rams. game outrates in the a nationally NBA televised window. Yeah. CBS, Nickelodeon. Gonna be a lot of slime that day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just put slime over the whole production and uh, and be done with it. Let's take a break. In case you missed it from week twelve, when PFT Live continues right after this. There are the MVP odds, courtesy of Bet MGM. Patrick Mahomes now the prohibitive favorite it had been josh allen for the longest time josh allen is down to 10 to 1 so we're going to do a draft of our mvp candidates as of right now they've changed the voting for the ap each of the 50 voters will list five which will it's good it's smart it gives more people recognition and it reduces the chances of a tie i just think it's smart it's long overdue so kudos to the ap for making that change we'll have six in this draft miles you get the first pick yeah, I love the change that the AP made, and I also am going to make the obvious pick here. And to me, the MVP of the league right now is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it when I started the season or when they started the season, I, I just I felt like, and I think Sim said this too, right, that, that Patrick Mahomes is going to have his best year yet. And so far, that's really happening. And he's got 400 more passing yards than anybody else. He has six more passing touchdowns than anybody else at 29. And he's tied for second among qualified passers at 8.1 yards per attempt. I mean, it's no Tyreek Hill, no problem. They keep rotating in different guys. Guys have gotten hurt. Kadarius Toney comes in, immediately he contributes. Travis Kelsey is playing like the best tight end in football. And when he gets one-on-one coverage, that's where Patrick Mahomes is going. It just It's been a well-oiled machine this year in ways that it really was not last year for the chiefs and they still were great right they they are even better this year and i I just i feel like this offense is as good as it's been since patrick mahomes has been there you know i have plenty of off-season takes that ultimately are proven incorrect but one thing that i said after the chiefs lost tyree kill and the packers lost Devontae adams i'm very concerned about the packers offense I'm not yep. concerned about the Chiefs' offense, even without Tyreek Hill, because of Patrick Mahomes and all the other weapons and the way they draw it up and the way they make it work. So I agree with you. He's the favorite right now for good reason. I'll go Jalen Hurts with the guy who's in second position on the odds. And here, here's the, the, the reality. And I say this all the time, but it doesn't stop me from continuing to say it because I don't ever hear anybody else say it. The MVP is almost always a quarterback from one of the two number one seeds. That's how it works. So it's fun to talk about it beforehand, but it doesn't matter until we know what the playoff tree is and we see who the one seeds are. That's when we have that vibe. The voting happens three days later, right after the regular season ends. The one seed is so important now. It's the only team that gets the buy in each conference. So as it stands right now, it's going to be Mahomes or Jalen Hurts. 
It's going to be one of the two. And Mahomes probably would get the edge for name recognition and whatnot. But Jalen Hurts, you can make a good case for him. Great runner, better runner than Mahomes. Clearly not as good of a passer, but improving. And a great leader. A great mm-hmm. leader of men. A great leader of yes. the locker room. A great yes. presence that has elevated that team and has them all thinking the way he does. And when you think about MVP, to me, it's more than stats. That's for Offensive Player of the Year. This is the guy who is the most valuable to his team without Jalen Hurts. Of course, without Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs don't have a chance either. But there's no way the Eagles are doing what they're doing without Jalen Hurts. I, I, I agree. And I, I agree with you about Jalen Hurts' leadership, too. It, it really is it's kind of second to none. But I, I think you have to kind of pay that same compliment to Patrick Mahomes, right? Because his leadership is second to none. And we see that from the way he got all of those guys together in the offseason, got them all comfortable with him. And then that's why he's voluntary. able to do well, the it's voluntary. That he has done. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Voluntary. Well, I don't know what I did. I do that. I wasn't. That's really a slap to do at Aaron Rodgers. Oh well, I was I mean, trying. I'm doing it because it's I'm, Aaron Rodgers catching a stray. I didn't. Your, your I didn't point is well taken. Name at all. That's leadership. I, I did, but I yeah, did, did, and I'm happy. I'm happy. I did. He, yeah. you, you show up. You're present. You're there beyond the voluntary program. You get your guys together. You get everyone on the same page. You show them that you give a crap. So I agree with you. Great leadership skills for both of the MVP favorites. All right, we'll move on to round two. Who do you have next? Now it gets a little Uh, more interesting. Yeah, I guess so. But I I would take Tua Tungavailoa because he's playing really, really, really good football. And a lot of that has to do with the system that Mike McDaniel has brought in. It has to do with his weapons. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are probably the best receiving duo in football. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. But he's still got to get the passes there, right? And you still have to be accurate. And he still has been so, so good in terms of his passer rating. I mean, he's at about, what, 119, I think it is right now. It's 115.7. I have it in front of me as I look at it. It's 10 point higher than anybody else right now in the National Football League. And when he starts and finishes games, they win. This week against San Francisco is going to be a big test. You know, if he goes out there and he lights it up against that defense, then he might shoot up even further on my list for MVP candidates because this, like I said, that that San Francisco defense is that good that if he goes out there and he balls out, boy, that, that's going to mean a lot. See, and I'm going to take Josh Allen, and this gets back to I have a greater belief that the Bills will be the one seed than the Dolphins right now. We talked about it earlier. What's the confidence mm-hmm. level the Chiefs are going to – or the Chiefs. The Dolphins are going to hold on to the top spot in the AFC East. I think the Bills ultimately win that division. If the Bills are the one seed, then Josh Allen is the MVP. And the fact that so much hype and attention had been attached to him, he was the the favorite from all of the offseason through the first half of the regular season. If they come out of this with the one seed, then it's him. And I'm more confident in the Bills doing it than the Dolphins. The Dolphins have to be the one seed for Tua to be the MVP. I mean, it gets back to this whole yes. one seed quarterback thing, but it's critical to the final analysis. All right, final round. Miles, who do you have? I'm going to take your guy, and I'm going to go Justin Jefferson. And frankly, I'd have Justin Jefferson over Josh Allen right now because Josh Allen is tied for the league lead in interceptions, and he's lost three fumbles. He's creating too many uh, turnover plays. Right. But Justin Jefferson and I, he makes so many catches that, yeah, he makes the routine catches. He makes the special catches, but those tough catches 
Like the catch that set up the Thielen touchdown on Thanksgiving, that's just one where yeah, it counts as however many yards, but so many receivers would drop that ball after they get hit. It's just always these tough, really strong catches that he makes that most people can't. And I just think that so elevates him. If if the Vikings don't have Justin Jefferson, they're not nearly as good as they are, right? And usually we say that about the QB, but I just really feel that strongly about Justin Jefferson. You know, he's already set the 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 mark for most receiving yards by a player in his first three years and got six games left to go. That that's that's incredible. I think he deserves some MVP consideration. And, you know, the, the problem is we saw the odds earlier. He and Kirk Cousins had the exact same. If we have the graphic, we can show it again at plus 8,000, 80 to 1. Not bad value. And, and the, here's the problem. Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson would split votes. If the Vikings somehow get the number one seed, which they're one game behind, they have to make up two games over the final six because they lose the tiebreaker head-to-head with the Eagles. But Cousins and Jefferson... I think would split vote and it would make it harder for either of them to win. And again, that's one of the reasons why a receiver has never won it because if a receiver has a special year, chances are the quarterback had an even more special year and the quarterback is the one who gets the MVP votes. I'm going to pivot away from either of the Vikings and go to Joe Burrow for my next one, because again, the Bengals are, are, are on the rise. They're two games behind the chiefs. They have a chance to cut it to one They have a chance to continue to rise. They have a chance to get the one seed. And if they get the one seed, Joe Burrow, it comes down to Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts is the MVP at that point. And maybe Burrow, with this late kick, does enough. It was a late kick by Adrian Peterson that stole the MVP a decade ago from Peyton Manning. We still have a third of the season to go. And recency bias is a thing. So somebody is going to rise up with a great performance down the stretch and that's going to capture us. And I think Joe Burrow is a guy who could do it. Yeah. I mean, I do too. Uh, Look, this, this game that's coming up against the Kansas city chiefs, big national profile game. He balls out in that one. Then yeah, that's absolutely going to vaunt him up in people's minds that he could certainly be the, the MVP of the league. He's played great. Even without, you know, some of his top weapons over the last few weeks. Jamar Chase hasn't played in a few weeks with that hip injury. They think he's going to be back this week, but still, I mean, Joe Burrow has been elevating that team throughout the course of this season. And yeah, I I can certainly see him with a late push becoming an MVP. Yeah, no Joe Mixon this past weekend. He had that five-touchdown game a few weeks back. Jamar Chase has now missed four games, and they keep winning, and they've caught the Ravens. And if they catch the Chiefs, Burrow may very well be the league MVP. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live right after this. Well... Vaughn Miller broke a little more news on his Vaughn cast. He said that Odell Beckham is coming to Buffalo on Friday. That disrupts the NFL media reported itinerary for Beckham. It was Giants, then Cowboys, then Bills. Now it's Giants, then Bills, then Cowboys. Jerry Jones talked about Odell Beckham yesterday on his roll out of bed and get on the radio or still be in bed based upon the sound of his voice every Tuesday morning. And I love every second of it that they really want an impact from Odell Beckham Jr. this year. And Miles, that's a concern I have. We are on the brink of December 1 and Odell Beckham hasn't even visited anyone yet. 
What impact is he going to make for anyone this year? When's he going to be ready to play? When's he going to know the offense? When's he going to make an impact? This is more of a 2023 play in my mind, not 2022. Yeah, I would agree with you, Mike. I mean, at this point, because he doesn't necessarily know these offenses that he would be going to, it's hard for me to see him being a super big contributor to any one of these teams. I mean, I feel like Dallas kind of needs him more than Buffalo, but at the same time, I mean, how much is Dallas really going to be able to integrate him into that offense? When he went to the Rams last year, that was at the beginning of November, and they finally got him going later into December. At, at this point, what, what are we really going to get out of Odell Beckham Jr.? I don't know. And he'd been playing. This is right. a combination of he hasn't played at all, and he hasn't played for this team, and he yeah. wants a contract that extends beyond this year. I, I think at a certain point, he just needs to treat this as rest of the year, and then I become a free agency in March, a free agent in March, excuse me. And if and if he doesn't get the numbers that he wants, maybe he's better off just waiting until March anyway at this point. We'll see. But it all gets started tomorrow with the Giants, then the Bills, then the Cowboys, then who knows what else. Whatever it is, we'll keep you updated at ProFootballTalk.com, and we'll be back again tomorrow for another edition of PFT Live. Chris will be back unless he isn't. Maybe Miles gets up early again. Miles, thanks for doing it. Everybody, have a great day. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.